Alright, I can see we've got some kids in tonight. Who's excited? It's how many days? Five days to go till Christmas? Six, five, we'll call it five. Five days to go. Who's excited? You excited? Yeah. yeah. Some of the adults are too. Alright, question for the adults. Who's prepared? Anyone? Are you prepared? I'm trying to look at your eyes over your mask. I see some smug eyes and I see some panicked eyes. Yes, as expected. Alright, because there is so much to work out, isn't there? There are so many things that need sorting, so many questions that need answering, like how and what and when and who. And of course this year the dreaded if. Oh, I know. And it can feel like there's too much sometimes. Well, I'm here to help, folks because I've decided to simplify things for us tonight. Um, here it is, the five big questions of Christmas to help us all manage Christmas, make it a bit more manageable, a bit more like bite-sized. Answer these five questions, everything's going to be just fine. So can we bring up my PowerPoint? Brilliant, wait for it. Is it up? Wait for it. Yeah, I'm clicking. Alright, here's the first question for you. The first question, of course, is the question of the tree. And this is a question, friends, of when. When? When should the tree go up? Because this, of course, depends whether you're in the real or the artificial tree brigade. Now, if you thought Brexit was, you know, touch and go and a bit controversial, if you think the scone wars of Creech St. Michael Baptist Church are, you know, controversial, this is something far more serious and of course we're not going to go there tonight because it's Christmas. Of course we're going to go there. Let's find out who is on which side. Who here is on the artificial tree side? Stick your hand up. And real tree side? And you're sat together and there hasn't been a fight yet. I'm impressed. This is good, folks. This is good. So, the question of when. If you're on the artificial tree side, you could feel smug tonight because the answer is whenever you fancy it. You could put it up two weeks before, three weeks before, four weeks before, you could put it up in September. And come Christmas Day, it'll sit there beautifully green and perfect. But of course, that is not true for the real Christmas Tree Brigade, is it in any way, shape or form. Now, woe betide you if you get your timings wrong in the real Christmas Tree Brigade. Because we all know that, come on, here we go. Is this cold? Are my fingers cold? Okay, that's not working. Can you advance for me? Brilliant. Go on. There we go. Real verses. Go on, next one. I know there are some trees out there that have very posh names like Douglas fir and things like that. And they kind of are called non-drop, you know. But if you want to be a real hero in my books of the real Christmas Brigade. There's only one tree. Let's go to the next one that we all know is the true Victorian tree. There it is. The smell of Christmas. That is, of course, the Norwegian spruce. A quality, quality tree. There is no finer tree. And this in our heads is what our tree is going to look like every year. That's what I think in my head. But I want to warn you, this is the trickiest, the riskiest tree of all. It's prickly, isn't it? It's hard to handle. It leaves rashes up your arms when you're carrying it into the house. But most of all, the giveaway is in the nickname. It's simply known as the dropper, isn't it? We all know that this tree is simply known as the dropper. Get your timings wrong on this one and you've had it, folks. So when do you put up a spruce? Well, 
The first thing I want to say to you tonight, we'll see if that works. No, absolutely not. Next one is don't get excited. December the 1st comes along and you think, oh, I might whack it up. Next one, please. As Noddy Holder wants to remind us, not yet. If you're in the Spruce Brigade, not yet. Because if you go early, it's disaster. You know, we were outside Asda the other day, and you can get tempted. And it was early, early in December, and there were these beautiful Christmas trees, these beautiful spruce trees. And we watched one uh, husband and wife come in, and the wife sort of came in, pushed her trolley, took one look at the trees, a knowing glance, and kept pushing right on. She knew it was too early, but oh, the husband, oh... He got tempted by the trees. He liked the price of the trees. He wondered, maybe the trees would run out if I don't buy a tree. And then he did something dreadful. He picked up and chose a tree, folks. It's true. He picked up the tree and he began calling after his wife, who was a good few meters away now, maybe ten meters. Darling, darling, I've got the tree. She turned from him straight into the shop as he began to drag this tree, desperately trying to catch up with his wife. You know, he'd got it wrong. He'd gone too early. She knew it, folks. Because if you go too early, your beige carpet, next one please, and your your lovely green tree, you end up with a tinsel-covered telegraph pole and a green carpet. And no amount of hoovering can ever get rid of the shame. Your friends come round and they all just shake their heads. You went too early, didn't you? Yeah, I went too early. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I went too early. So, When's the perfect time for a tree? I reckon two weeks before, folks. That's my tip there for question number one. When? If you're going for a spruce, two weeks. Uh, just about last till Boxing Day, about halfway through Boxing Day. be absolutely fine. But if you haven't chosen your spruce yet, folks, I want to warn you, you're probably a bit too late. Because the ones that are left, at, well, if we could just go to the next slide. Uh, all the best to you, really. That's all I'm saying. That's about all you're going to pick up now. All right, next question. So the question of the tree, the question of the presents. Who here likes presents? Ray. And that's my point. The first hands that went up were the kids. You know, there's loads of questions about who and what and how am I going to get it and where am I going to get it from. But actually, I'm now at the ripe old age of 36 And I've realised as a mature, responsible adult that really presents are all about the kids, aren't they? Let's be honest. The kids love presents, don't you guys? You love presents. You spend all year thinking about, dreaming about what presents you would like. But I'm at the stage now as an adult where if anyone asks me what I want, I have to go like this. (laughs) No, don't you worry about me. No, 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 don't worry at all. I'll be happy with anything you give me. And that's what we have to say, isn't it, as adults? And of course, we pretend we believe it, or we might even think that we're telling the truth. That is until Christmas Day comes, isn't it? And you watch as your son unwraps a James Bond-themed scale and you quietly unwrap what is a beautiful Brussels sprout tie, and you think... I'm not sure I am all right with all of this, actually. But I've worked something out. Quick tip to you adults... It turns out, as a parent, you get to play with your kids' presents as well. I've worked this one out. So this year, if we could go to the next slide. Um, here's the kids. Go to the next one. I'm going to buy my kids, and hope you're not listening, kids. Got yourself a Black & Decker work, uh, mate, this year. Next one. Uh, lovely pair of mats for the Volvo, for you, uh, Archie. And the last one, lovely 1995 Chateau Neuf de Pat for my children this year. And hopefully that'll be fine. Of course I wouldn't do that guys of course I wouldn't I've got you next slide um, 
a set of matching Brussels sprouts ties, of course. You're going to absolutely love them. You're going to love them. All right, next question. We've had the question of the tree. We've had the question of the presents. What about the question of the turkey? Now, assuming you're all going for a turkey, we're not going to get into the duck goose nut roast debate. We're going to leave that there for a second. If you're going for a turkey, the question is, which recipe are you going to follow? Because every TV chef has the ultimate turkey recipe. Have you noticed? The ultimate TV chef uh, turkey recipe. So who do we choose? Well, I can help you out here. I've worked it out. It's all about levels of commitment. All right? The levels of commitment. I've summarized their cooking techniques so you can choose your level. Level one for the beginner, the Jamie Oliver turkey. So basically you get your turkey out, right? You just smash it on a tray, chuck a bit of olive oil all over it, right? Smash a bit of sage on it, shove it in the oven, pull it out of the oven, smash it on a plate and eat it lovely jubbly. Right? That's your stage one. Happy with that? Stage two, commitment stage two. This is your Gordon commitment. Now this is a little bit more serious, isn't it? In fact, it's a lot more intense if you've noticed with Gordon Ramsay. So, ultimate turkey. Prepare. Orange, slice, stuff, thyme, season, herbs, butter, spread, good, excellent. Next, bacon, take, slice, wrap, wine, stock, into the oven, baste, out of the oven, baste some more, back into the oven, delicious, remove, carve, rest, ultimate turkey, done. There you go. That's your Gordon Ramsay. That's your Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Needs a bit more practice. We're not far off. All right. Final level. Your ultimate level. The Heston turkey. And I'll be honest. I've got a list here. Here we go. And I quote. If you're going to go with this one, you need to start tomorrow. It takes about a week. But if you hurry, you might be able to do it. You're going to need, let's see here, uh, two conical flasks, six test tubes, a Bunsen burner, a tripod, a heat mat, an industrial sous vide machine, a stainless steel dustbin, three pairs of tongs, 17 different types of knives, a mass spectrometer, some dry ice, and a wheelbarrow. And uh, that's just for the marinade. So um, all the best with that one. To be honest, I got halfway through this one and I gave up. Um, so if anyone does want a cheap second-hand sous vide machine, I'll be popping one on Facebook Marketplace tomorrow so you can get yourself an absolute steal. Um, I've decided I'm just going to let my mother-in-law cook the turkey this year. That's what's going to happen there. All right, question number four. The question of Christmas afternoon. Yeah? The big question, what to do on Christmas afternoon? This is controversial. Come 3 p.m. on Christmas Day, up and down the country, there will be a battle going on, whether you realise it or not. Who is going to win the battle for Christmas afternoon? I've decided there are four camps. Here we go. First camp is the grumpy grown-up. There they are. And this grumpy grown-up pretends they're not grumpy, pretends they're real royalty sort of lover. And they say, we've got to watch, church everyone, we've got to watch the Queen's speech. Um, and it's basically just an excuse to sit on the sofa and fall asleep. They're not watching at all. So that's number one. Number two, the excited child. All they literally want to do is play with the toys and uh, break through them by four o'clock. That's absolutely fine. That's the excited child. Group number three, the enthusiast, the games enthusiast, should I say. We all have them, don't we, in the family? There she is. The games enthusiast. Come on, everyone as we're all absolutely exhausted. Let's play Twister or Cards or Charades or Monopoly. As an aside, just to warn you folks, um, Twister, playing Twister after three portions of 
turkey and 12 Brussels sprouts is not a very good idea, I've discovered. So uh, hide the twister uh, Christmas Eve. Just get that away. And here's the fourth one. This one's strange. Um, for some peculiar reason, something very strange happens to at least one family member up and down the country, doesn't it? Someone turns into Bear grills on Christmas afternoon and decides, declares that we need to go for a walk. What do you mean we need to We don't go for walks. Why do we need to go for one today? It's Christmas Day, they declare. And they don't mean just around the block. They mean a really long walk up a really steep hill in the countryside in the rain for far too long, is what they mean. And weirdly... This person always wins, don't they? It's like we all feel obliged. Yeah, you're right. We all feel shamed into going on the walk, so off we go. If you can flick to the next one, and off we go out in the rain. And there they are at the front insisting, isn't this fun? Happy Christmas, everyone, as the rain drips down on your sodden Father Christmas hats and the kids all need carrying and keep asking, are we at the car yet? And you just keep lying and as an adult going it's just around the corner it's just always just around the corner the car isn't it and it never is and finally the Bear grills declares we've made it and you go does that mean we're finished and they go no this trig point means we're halfway and you just want to go home I wonder who's going to win in your house this Christmas four of the questions of Christmas but I just want you to think about one more final question and it's this one if we could flick over it's the question of the manger Weird one, Matt. Well, if you're honest, if I'm honest, I think this is the easiest one to ignore. In fact, many people, they don't even consider it or bother with it. Actually, I believe this might be, in fact, I believe it is the single most important question of all. And the first part of this question is, is who? If we can go to the next one, Richard. Who is this lying in the manger? We had that lovely song, What Child is this? And at first glance, the answer is, well, it's a baby, isn't it? Just like every other ordinary baby, and you'd be right. It's a baby that's crying and vulnerable and probably hungry and squirming and sleeping and crying and feeding and sleeping again and needing changing. That's who it is. But do you know what the Bible tells us? Actually, this is also a baby unlike any other baby ever born before. It tells us actually that here in the manger, here in the manger lies the king of the universe. Here in the manger lies the creator of all things. The Bible tells us that this little vulnerable baby is actually the ancient one, the one who dwelt at the very beginning, whose word alone caused everything we know to come into being, whose creativity and power and majesty is beyond everything our wildest imaginations and is actually behind every good and wonderful thing there has ever been and ever will be. This is the eternal word, the Bible says, made flesh. This is Jesus, God's Son, come to be with us. And although it's really easy to hear those words, you go, Matt, thanks for saying that. But actually, if we stop and think about that and let that sink in, it's truly Mind-blowing. This here, in this manger, is God. And he's given up the beauty of heaven to come and be with us in our mucky world. He's given up his majesty to become vulnerable and hungry and to lie in an animal feeding trough. He's taken on flesh. He's given up the praise and the adoration of angels and angels and archangels 
to come and be hated and to be rejected by us. He's given up his heavenly throne to come and suffer and to die. But Matt, if what you say is true, if what the Bible says is true, then why? Why is he lying here? Well, the answer is he's come to help us because we need his help. You see, without him coming, we can never truly be free. Without him coming, we can never know the relationship that we were made for, all of us here. An eternal relationship, a beautiful relationship with Father God. Without him coming, we get trapped in our mess. We get overwhelmed with pride. We get trapped and hurt by selfishness and our harmful ways. We hurt, we struggle, we wrestle, we suffer under the weight of what the Bible calls sin. But amazingly, this little baby lying at the heart of Christmas in that manger means that God has come and God cares. That's why he's come. And he's come so that even in a confusing and difficult time like right now, worrying for so many of us, uncontrollable, exhausting, anxiety-inducing as it is at the moment for so many of us, because he's come so that we can know some hope and we can know some peace and yes, we can even know joy. This baby came so that anyone, no matter who you are tonight, whether you think you're a Christian, whether you think you're religious or you hate it all, he's come so that no matter who you are or what you've done, you can know full and real and life-changing forgiveness. Completely forgiven, completely and utterly wonderfully forgiven. You can know purpose and you can know meaning. And I want to just finish with this little word here, because most of all we came... Because you're loved. Because you're loved. Because God loves you. And that's why he came. God so loved the world, we heard read, that he sent his son. And the manger tells us that love's come. Love that was there at the very beginning will be there at the very end for all eternity. And it's a love that's willing to give up everything. Everything for me and you. And so the last question I get left with is what have I done to deserve this? What have I done to deserve a love like this? A love that would give up everything for me. Suffer for me. And the answer is nothing. Nothing at all have I done to deserve it. And yet here he is. Lying here at the heart of Christmas. You can ignore it. You can scoff at it. You can just focus on your turkeys and your presents. Or each of us can choose to realise, maybe for the first time, there really is something behind this baby lying here. That we really are loved. That he really has come for me and for you. What have I done to deserve love like this? We're going to watch a beautiful video of the wise men coming and the shepherds to worship Jesus with a beautiful song that catches these words.